happy to be here with you this morning on Easter. Happy Easter. He is risen. You got it. You got it. So I'm so excited. It's a great weekend. I love Easter weekend. It's so, and it's sunny finally, right? We got some sunshine. Um, what's fun about Easter weekend? What do we just think is really fun about Easter and Easter weekend? I want to hear from some of the kids. What do you like about Easter? What's good about Easter? What's family? Oh, that's a good answer. What else? Candy. Did someone say candy? For crying out loud, let's say candy. I mean, definitely the candy. What's, what's the best candy? Reese's. Oh, Easter Bunny, right. Milky Way. Okay. All right. Does anybody like jelly beans? Anybody like the jelly beans? Okay. So you're, you're either a regular jelly beans person or a spicy jelly beans person, right? So who's a regular jelly beans person? I'm a regular jelly beans person. Who's a spicy jelly beans person? There's a few. My husband. We have to get two bags of, of jelly beans so that we each get our own uh, bag of jelly beans. I won't tell you how much has already been eaten of the bag of jelly beans because we did open them up yesterday. But uh, all right, so jelly beans, chocolate. Anybody say chocolate? I mean chocolate. Anybody got an Easter bunny? Yeah, like a little chocolate bunny. I got a little chocolate bunny. Um, I also make an, a bunny cake every year. There's a picture of that. That's my bunny cake. What do you think? Pretty good. That's, I made that yesterday. Um, that's already also been eaten into, so it's missing an ear or two. Uh, but um, that's, our, that's our family tradition is the Easter bunny cake. I mean, there's a lot of fun things about Easter and Easter weekend, right? And by the way, Sermon Bingo Kids, you already just got like four things. I think I said four things on your list, so you're paying attention. But, you know, we know that actually Easter is not really about Easter bunnies and chocolate and eggs and jelly beans, uh, although that's a really good part about it. Um, but what it's really about is, is the story of Jesus. And even if you're not much of a churchgoer, you probably know the basic outline of the story, right? A man named Jesus of Nazareth came and lived on this earth 2,000 plus years ago and walked around in the area of Israel and Jerusalem and Galilee, and he did a lot of things. He healed people. He healed blind people. He healed paralyzed people. He healed lepers. He did other miracles. He fed 5,000 people. And he walked on water, and he gave incredible teachings about God's love and about what's, how we can follow him and how we can love one another better. And he did a lot of good things. And then yet, inexplicably, they wanted him killed. The leaders of the day, the religious leaders of the day, didn't like what he said because in part, also, he said that he was the son of God. By the things he said and the things he did, um, he, they realized that's what he was saying, and so that was blasphemy to them. And so if we know how the story goes, he finally was taken to trial uh, before Pilate, a Roman governor. He had a sham of a trial that was completely unjust and was convicted and was beaten and was crucified. And so he died and then was buried. If you know, again, the rest of the story, he was buried in a tomb and a stone rolled in front of the tomb and even Roman soldiers stationed outside the tomb so that then nothing, no funny business would happen with the body. And yet after three days, two women came to prepare his body with spices, to anoint him with spices. And when they came, the stone was rolled away and the body was gone. And so if we carry to the story of what happens, an angel appears, and in Matthew 28 it says this, The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There where you will see him. Now I've told you. And so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid 
yet filled with joy. I love that. And ran to tell his disciples, and suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings. So on Easter, this is what, uh, this is what we talk about, this incredible um, story, this incredible event that happened 2,000 years ago, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead in a place very long ago. And I could spend a lot of the morning telling you the proof for this event, that uh, why we believe this is true, that this historically happened. And there's a lot of reasons to believe that. Um, there's no way Jesus could have just swooned and then been revived later. I mean, he was the way he was beaten and the torture he'd gone through. He could have never gotten up and just walked around like he did. We also know that the, the reaction of the disciples and of the, of the soldiers, that all that they did, um, just could never have happened if he hadn't actually risen from the dead. And we can also point to the, the, just the historical impact of this one event, right? It has affected the whole world. Practically throughout the entire world, people know of Jesus and his resurrection. And so it's affected everything. And I could talk about all of that, but instead I want to take a different tack today. I want to bring us, fast forward us to today to the 21st century and to our, where we live right here in North Carolina. And I want to ask us today, if this did happen, if the Son of God really did die on a cross and rose from the dead, how does it matter to us today, right now, in our own very lives? And, you know, even if you're a doubter and a skeptic and you think, well, I'm not sure I think it did happen, that's fine. But let's just for a moment put the the question on the shelf and say, let's just imagine for a moment, if it did, would it matter? Because if it doesn't matter, then we might as well just all go home and have bunny cake, right? I mean, let's just be done. But if he did rise from the dead, and it does matter, then it very well could change our lives. So let's talk about that. I want to talk about what it matters to us, how it matters to us. And so what I've done today is ask someone from the congregation to bring a testimony, a short testimony, about the difference that Jesus has made in his life, and then I will carry on with the message after that. So I'm going to invite Andy Blair if he'd come forward. you guys. I want to say I love you. Woo. Hold it. All right. God, God, I'm used to sitting down. I can't. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and God loves you and he, and he hears you. And that's what I want to share today. Uh, <clears throat> May 26, 2020 uh, was a very important day uh, for me. I uh, had realized that my way and my will uh, had really taken me to a place that I didn't like. It took me to a place of self-pity, fear, anxiety, uh, stress, anger, I mean, uh, addictions. I mean, it was just the way I was running my life and the way I wanted it to work out wasn't working at all. Uh, and so I was humbled uh, to find myself at a rock bottom of my life. Humbled. And I say this because when you're at a bottom, it forces you to look up, right? So I look up, and I remember saying, God, I, I can't. I can't. And I truly just, I couldn't anymore. And God, <laughs> which is so cool, I heard and felt the words, I can. I can help you. Um, just let go. Let go of your way and let God, let me work uh, in, in your life. And uh, 
I'm like, okay, let's 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 do this. And I remember crying in my garage <laughs> next to my lawnmower, uh, just crying like a little baby. Just but I was feeling uh, truth. I was feeling freedom, and I was getting a sense of purpose that God was providing me and inviting me to walk with Jesus. Okay, so um, what he started doing, which was really remarkable, is he started putting in various disciplines in my life. Okay. One is he knows, God knows you well enough to know I uh, am an overthinker. I have a lot of mental gymnastics going up in this brain, and I needed to journal that. I needed to write that down. And God also knows that I have a lot of questions, so he gave me the ability and the confidence to ask, to ask God questions. And through all of this, he gave me the ability to open up something I really haven't looked at in quite a while, and that was the Bible. And then... Through that, I was able to see and read more and understand the love of Jesus, which was so cool. Because at that point, what I realized is I went from the truth, which is I can't do this alone, and I needed God, to the freedom that Jesus loves me. And the way he can do that is by providing me wisdom through the word that God has provided. More importantly, he gave me the freedom of healing because I realized who does... Who did Jesus, Jesus minister to the most, the broken and the sick? And I was all of those things. I was broken and I was sick. And, and he started healing me through the freedom of forgiveness. This is why we're here today. He died on that cross to forgive us. for We are forgiven. That freedom was so overwhelming at that point in my life that I, 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 I was at a loss at that point, but I understood how to repent and how to ask for forgiveness through the love of Jesus. The thing that was most powerful for me was that I learned how to forgive. I had a situation about two weeks ago where I was sending an email to a coworker and needed some information, and this guy blew my doors off, all caps, and why he didn't feel the value in my request that we needed to proceed in this file now the old andy would have fired back the old andy my will my way my fight i'm going to go after this guy all right that was andy's perspective i got a god perspective now all right and god has given me the love of jesus to understand that just two weeks ago i spoke to this guy on the phone and he has a good heart and he ha- he's a good person and so what what Jesus was telling me was, you need to love him. You need to, to, to understand he's going through something today. And so what I was able to think through was, how can I pray and how can I be of service to this guy? And I felt so at peace with the reality that that guy's hurting. I've had those days. I've been in his shoes. We ultimately got things worked out. But more importantly, what I loved about that was how Jesus has worked and is working in my life. That was freedom. So through the truth of love that we get from Jesus, the freedom of love that we get from Jesus, we have purpose. All right. I was reading around, you know, we've all heard that uh, we are created in God's image. Okay. And I remember reading that, and I felt pretty cool about that. And I had to ask, like, okay, well, why did he create me? Because I was a bumbling mess for 20-some years. And um, then I realized he created me to love me. That's pretty easy, right? 
And then as I'm continuing in my disciplines that God has put in front of me, I was reading and uh, around what Jesus, when he was asked, there was two commandments that are the most important, one of the two most important commandments. When Jesus was asked, what are those? To love the Lord, to love you guys. And then all of a sudden, I realized my purpose. My purpose is as simple as God created me to love. I was created to love him. And that love, it gives me the ability to love you guys. So I'll say it again. I love you guys. <laughs> I mean, so I just, that's what Jesus has done in, in my life is, is just to love, love, man. And at the end of the day, we are all, and I'm taking this and selling this to my wife, we're all hamsters on a wheel. And all we can do is to take the love of Jesus and spread that love because we were created in his image to love the Lord and to love each other. Amen. Wow. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. That is awesome. Wow. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We just take you, take a minute, Lord, to thank you for what you've done in Andy's life, Lord. And I thank you that for every person, you want to bring us into that kind of love with you, Lord. And I just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Andy kind of preached my sermon for me, so that's good. <laughs> it's always the risk having someone come up. No, it's just exactly what God's got me to give you today. Um, this is also going to be a somewhat personal sermon from me. I'm going to be telling you some of what it means to me that the risen Lord, uh, that Jesus rose from the dead, that he's alive today. What does that mean to me? And I'm going to be talking about that. How does it get me up in the morning? Um, why, why have I given my life to this? And in sharing this, you might be able to imagine hopefully the difference it could make in your life, even if um, today you're a skeptic or you're, this is not um, something that you have always um, believed or, or want to walk in, yet I just ask you to listen and open up your heart to, to God. If he's here, um, he's going to be speaking to every single one of us here. There's a reason we're all here together today. And so here's what I'm going to say today. Here's what the risen Jesus means to me. The first thing it means to me is that every day is a new day. Every day is a new day. Resurrection's about newness. It's about rebirth. It's about life. It's new life, right? Um, it's a fresh start. Let me ask you this. How many of you go home for the holidays to see your family or grandparents or aunts or uncles or parents or even siblings? And how many of you go home and they all think of you exactly like you were when you lived there? You can never get away from it, right? I mean, it's always, you know, yeah, you're the one, you're the kind of whiny one, or you're the complaining one, or you're the one that's always eating all the time. Whatever you were when you were like 14 years old, that's kind of what you are for the rest of your life, right? No matter how many times you go back and how much older you get. Frustrating, right? That it's so hard to get a fresh start with your family. <laughs> and it's even true as you get older and you gather together a whole new group of people, friends and, and, and family members, maybe a spouse, maybe children, they all pretty much think they know what you're going to do next, right? <laughs> um, and sometimes we're pretty predictable. Sometimes they're right. And sometimes we do do those things. But it's very hard if we want to do something new. If we want to start something fresh. Become, a, turn over a new leaf. It's so hard to do that, even as an adult, even with the people who know us and love us most. It's hard to get a fresh start. And the resurrection gives us a completely different idea. This idea that we're not defined by our past, that we can, don't have to be stuck repeating our old mistakes, but that we can be made new, that we can be made fresh. 
even right now, even today. The Bible talks about this concept of being in Christ. What does that mean? Being in Christ simply means we've believed in Jesus, that he's the son of God and that he died for us. And then we've, we've come to him and said, God, I, I, I want to be forgiven of my sins and I want to start to follow you. When we do that, we are made a new creation. We're called in Christ. And everything has changed. It's like what Andy said. Everything was falling apart and it's changed. It's completely changed when we come to Christ. It says it in 2 Corinthians, a great verse about this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Just what Andy was saying. He's given it to us so that we can then be like that to others. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And so then the Apostle Paul, as he's writing this, he says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the gospel, what we call the good news in church, right? That we can be reconciled to God and get a fresh start. The old is wiped away. All the sins, all the things that you were, it's wiped away. When Jesus came into my life at the age of 15, lots of things were changed. I was an atheist up until that point and then came to know Jesus at the age of 15. And a lot of things changed. And one really major thing that changed was I got a conscience, which was really a bummer at the age of 15, okay? Because I like to lie. Now, I know all you teenagers that are in here, you don't lie at all. I know you always tell exactly the 100% truth to your parents, right? Right? Right. Okay. So, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Like, why, I was not good that way. I did lie a bit. Um, I didn't do terrible things, but I just was kind of proud of the fact that I could lie and nobody would know. Like, I could kind of put it over on them to get away with whatever I was doing. And I'm not proud of it. Don't go home and say, well, Pastor Beth did it. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, you know. But what's interesting is that at 15, I started going on this journey and, and looking at the Bible and looking at Christian, talking to Christians and, and, and praying a little bit to Jesus. And I decided that it was true and that Jesus was the Son of God and that he died for my sins. And that, so I asked him into my life. I asked him to forgive me. And I, and I said, I want to follow Jesus. You want to know what's amazing? Bam, I got a conscience, like that. And it was so frustrating because I couldn't tell the slightest lie. I mean, I'd tell a little lie, and my conscience would just start roiling inside me. I just had to confess it to somebody, and I just couldn't do it anymore. It's because I just felt somewhere inside of me how it dishonored God when I would tell something that wasn't true, and it just, I couldn't do it anymore. So in that moment, I was transformed into a person who tells the truth. I have many other flaws, but you can know if I tell you something, I'm telling you the truth, at least as far as I know it, because I just can't, I can't bear with a lie. So this is what God does. He transforms us. He changes us, in, in sometimes in big, startling ways. But it's not even just when we first come to know Jesus. He keeps doing it over and over again. Every day is a new day with Jesus. He keeps doing new things in us. And so there's a wonderful um, passage in the book of Lamentations. Now, not too many people um, read Lamentations. It's not a common Easter book to talk about. Um, it's a little bit of a sad book. It's actually a, a bunch of some sorrowing laments 
from Jeremiah when Jerusalem got sacked and the temple was destroyed. And so, you know, it's a very sad book. You can get a sense of Jeremiah's mood right here when he says, um, Lamentations 3.19, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. So he's, he's having a bummer of a day. But then the very next thing he says in verse 21, he says, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Someone say new every morning. New every morning. morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Every morning, God is doing a new thing in you. No matter if you're going through struggles or hardships or good times or bad, he is still doing a new thing in you every single day. There's an opportunity for rebirth, renewal, refreshing, new hope. And so that means that even when I mess up yesterday, I can start afresh today. Now, reality, I might have to clean up some of my mess from yesterday, (laughs) today. But I'm forgiven. I'm made new. I'm free, as Andy said, I'm free of those mistakes. I'm not defined by the mistakes of my past. I can learn, I can grow, and I can change. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So do you long for a fresh start? I think so many of us do long for a fresh start each day. It's here in the resurrection, in the, in the empty tomb. We don't have to keep making the same mistakes, keep messing up over and over again. And even if we do, God gives us a fresh start. Amen. So that's the first thing that, 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 um, that I love because of the resurrection of Jesus. What knowing it, the risen Jesus means to me is that every day is a new day, but also that every day I'm loved no matter what. No matter what. No matter what. Let's go back to the story of Easter. I mean, never was there more a sign of love than for someone to die for us. Jesus died for us. This was not a pleasant way to die. It was not quick. It was slow and painful. And yet Jesus, even if if he was God, he could have stopped it at any point, right? It says in the scripture he could have called down legions of angels to stop it, and yet he didn't. He didn't. Why? Because of love. He says it in John 15, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. There's no greater love than that. And we have a taste of this, don't we? If we're a parent, if you parents out there, you know that if you had to die for your child, you would. You wouldn't even think twice about it. I mean, if it was your life for theirs, you would give it. That's the incredible power of a a parent's love for a child, right? But at the same time, if you knew you could stop it, (laughs) you would. But Jesus didn't. He went ahead. He made a choice. He could have decided, I'm not going to do it, but he said, I want to do it because I love them. And now you may ask yourself, how did his dying show love? Like, what was that all about? And, you know, sometimes we get caught up in the cross and and the crucifixion, and we think it's all about sin. And I guess in a way it sort of is about sin. But really what the cross and the crucifixion on Good Friday was about was, was a relationship. It was about relationship with God, that God wanted to be in relationship with us. And something was standing in the way. That was sin. So the reason Jesus went to the cross wasn't sin. It was because he wanted to be in relationship with us. And so he went on the cross and took our sin for us so that we would open up a pathway to our God. A pathway is opened up for you and for me to Jesus because he died for us. 
And so what that means, and I want you to hear this. If you've toned me, turned me out at this point, I want you to tune back in for a minute. I want you to hear this. You've always been loved, and you always will be. You're loved right here, right now, right as you are. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, whether you call yourself a Jesus follower or not, whether your life's a mess or not, whether you're a sinner or not, <laughs> whether you're a good person or even not so good, some of the time, you are loved. You are loved. You are loved. Let us never forget that. We may not necessarily always feel it, and I know I feel it more when I've opened up that pathway to God. Relationship's a two-way street, and so when I open up my heart to him, I start to know his love for me. So open up to him. Being loved also means I don't need to keep striving. I don't have to worry about if I'm everybody's best friend, uh, if I'm Miss Popularity or not. I don't have to worry about um, the mistakes I've made um, and if I've messed up and if I'm still going to be loved. I know that he loves me, he loves me, he loves me, no matter what. And um, I have a story to tell you about a water bottle. Um, a number of years back, Paul and I went on a trip to uh, Turkey and Greece. It was a following of the uh, the journeys of Paul, the Apostle Paul. So we went through all these kind of ruins from ancient days where we went through the, the, um, the Turkey and Greece, and it was a great trip. But we were all on a big bus, big, a whole bunch of us on a big bus, riding for hours on the bus, and then we'd get off, and then we'd walk around for hours on these dusty ruins, and then we'd come back in the bus and ride some more. So it was very tiring. It was always very hot. And at the front of the bus, they kept a nice little thing where there was water bottles for us. So anytime we wanted, we could go grab a water bottle. And so... Uh, we were getting off the bus at one point. We'd had a long ride. It was so hot. It was so thirsty. And I'm thinking, as I'm about to get to the front, I'm going to grab a water bottle because I'm so hot and so thirsty. And the minute I was thinking that, someone behind me said, oh, I'm so hot. I can't wait to get I need to get a water bottle. I'm so thirsty. And then I went and I opened up the thing, and there was one water bottle left. <laughs> Thereby ensued a big battle within me. <laughs> I really knew I should give her the water bottle because she said it and I knew she needed it and there was only one left. But my God, I was so thirsty. <laughs> so what do you think I did? Y'all think I'm a much nicer person than I am. I grabbed that water bottle and I walked off the bus <laughs> and I opened it and I drank it. <laughs> All the while, the Holy Spirit is clanging in my head like bells. What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> And I felt horrible the moment I did it. I'm just, you know, just, but I just did it. And um, I felt horrible. I still feel horrible about it, actually. Um, never did get to apologize to the person about that. Uh, I just knew I'd been selfish. I knew I'd done the wrong thing. So the funny PS to the story uh, is that I told the story right not long after we got back. Um, I was preaching a sermon at my church up in New York, and I told the story, kind of like I just did, just showing that we all do the wrong thing sometimes, right? And so then as, as the service was over, I went out into the lobby and talking with some people, and a guy came up to me, and he says to me, you know, good sermon, Beth, but why did you take that water bottle? I mean, that wasn't very nice. You should have left it for the person behind you. That was really selfish of you. And I was like, I know. That was <laughs> the point of the story. I did the wrong thing, okay? That was the whole point. And then he wouldn't let up. I mean, he kept saying, I don't understand why you couldn't have just been a little more thirsty and let her have it. And, like, that was just not very Christian of you. Like, he went on and on. 
kept going, I know, I know, I'm a terrible person. Here's what I'm glad about. My God loves me anyway. God loves me anyway, and he doesn't berate me like the guy was doing. He doesn't over and over again shove my face in what I did. He convicts me. This was wrong. I had to repent. I never knew who it was that said it, so I couldn't apologize to the person. But he convicts me. He, you know, I was embarrassed by it. I tell the story now and then to keep myself humble. Um, and I also um, know now as things come up, I will sometimes remember the story, right? When I'm tempted to be selfish again, I remember the story. But Jesus loves me no matter what. We all mess up. We all do the wrong thing. We do things we're ashamed of that we hope we'd never do again, but we're not so sure. Um, but he loves us anyway. He loves me anyway, and he loves you. No matter how you've messed up, no matter what you've done, no matter what you'll do, because we're not above reproach uh, every single day. He knows our faults. He knows the ways we're good and the way we're not so good. And he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. It wasn't because of our goodness that God died for us. It's because of his love. It wasn't because of our goodness. It was because of his love. Let me read you from Romans 5, 6 to 8. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We can know every day that we're loved because Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. So now the third thing I know because Jesus rose from the dead is that every day there's a purpose. And I love that Andy talked about how there's a purpose for his life. Um, now that he has given his life to God. And, and, you know, God talks about this. Jesus talked about this with his disciples. Just before he left, he told them, abide in me, love me, and love each other. And tell others about me. That's the very simple purpose he gave them. It's about being loved and then being able to share that love with others and so that they would also know the love of God. That's, that's the whole po point. Um, and he, he gave them what he called a new command. This is just before he went to the cross in John 13. He said this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And so first he says, love as I have loved you. See, the purpose starts with the presence. Pur your purpose is going to start with being in the presence of God. Know him. Come into relationship with him. This is what gets me out of bed in the morning, knowing that I, that I have a God who loves me and that we're going to walk together all day long. We're going to do stuff together. I'm going to hear his voice and listen to him, and, and he's going to work through me. I love that. There's nothing so motivating as walking with someone who loves you <laughs> and who's, who's just with you no matter what. And you get to be with the creator of the universe. He loves you. We can't do much else for God if we don't first rest in the love he's got for us. But then he says, love one another. The purpose continues with a pull toward one another, toward our fellow man. That we're meant to be spending ourselves loving one another. And this is hard for us to do in, in American society. We're very independent. Um, but as we know, um, we need each other. We found that out during COVID, didn't we? When everything was shut down, when we were all isolated, there was a rise in depression and suicide and addictions because we need human beings. We need each other. 
We need the love of another person around us. So we need the love that Jesus is talking about. And here's what's interesting. He's talking about a love here that is sacrificial, even shocking. This little passage I just read you came right after Jesus just got done getting on his knees and washing the feet of every one of his disciples. This was a shocking act, okay? This is something only servants did. This was not something that uh, a rabbi would do, a leader, a teacher. And then he said, do as I've done. Shocking love. To love people in such a way that they're amazed and shocked by your love. Because God loves us in a shocking and amazing way. And then Jesus tags on this little point. He said, this is how other people will know you're my disciples. See, other people should be able to look at us and see the way we love God, love each other, and love others and say, wow, Jesus is like, Jesus is like. Now, there may be a few of you who are saying, well, that would be nice, but that's not what I see when I look at church. And I want to tell you, as a pastor in a Christian church, you're right. We often don't love each other this way. And it's, it's a shame. It's not right. We aren't much in unity these days as the Christian church. If you've, you know, watched the news and if you've been in different churches, you know we fight about all kinds of things. We fought about masking and COVID. We fight about politics. We fight about race. This ought not to be. It's embarrassing the way Christian brothers and sisters are not in unity. When he says, this is how they're going to know that you love me. We also also don't always love each other. We don't love others. We can be more interested in being right and having the right answer to things and making sure everybody knows what our right answer is to things rather than just loving people <laughs> and just caring for people. We've been, we've been judgmental and we've been unloving. And so I just want to say this, at this moment that I'm sorry. As a Christian pastor, I take some responsibility for that. And I say, I am sorry. And if you are a person here today who has ever felt shut out or rejected or, or, or put aside by church and church leadership and church rules, I'm sorry. We hope to be different. Amen? Gate City Vineyard, we try to be a place where people can come to recover from church. Amen. I pray that that is what we are. And I pray that we could be just all about Jesus here, and that's what we're going to be. We teach about Jesus. We worship Jesus. We pray to Jesus. We love Jesus. We talk more about Jesus. We try to follow Jesus. And then we say, come on along. Let's, let us just love you as we all get on this journey together. We're all on a diff different place in our journey. So there's a wonderful purpose to your life. There's a wonderful purpose for my life. When I was first considering uh, coming to Christ in my teens, I remember thinking, and I, some of you have heard me say this before, I remember thinking, you know, what's the purpose of my life? I could tell I was going to go to college, you know, maybe I'd hopefully get a nice job, have a, have a husband, have a family, get a nice house, whatever, you know, two and a half kids and a dog. I figured all that was coming, but what's the purpose? Is it just so that I'm comfortable and happy my whole life? And what, how is that right? I mean, what about people who aren't comfortable and happy their whole life? They are born in hard circumstances and difficult places of the world. Uh, they don't have enough to eat, whatever. Like, what about that? And what about if my life isn't comfortable and happy? Maybe I could have tragedies happen to me that would make my life very difficult. Maybe I could get a disease. Maybe my house would burn down. Like, what? You know, is that really the point? To just be comfortable and happy? And I remember thinking, this just rings false to me. There has to be more. 
There has to be more. Something that holds you together even when things don't go well. Something that's higher than my comfort and success and also higher than my trauma and my difficulties. Something that rides above it all. Now listen, I love comfort and success. Nothing wrong with that. We all want a little comfort and success, right? But there has to be more. I just felt it. There has to be a meaning and purpose beyond my one little life. Because you never know, it might not be that long to begin with. And I found the answer in the resurrection of Jesus. I found the answer there. Because he rose again, I'm in a relationship with the creator of the universe. And I know I'm loved. And so being with him and knowing him and walking with him and, and, and serving him and, and, and talking with him and, and having him come alongside and be in my life, that transcends all human happiness. It transcends all human kind. When I come in here and worship and Charles gets on the, on the guitar and we start to worship, we're, we're, we're going beyond what's going on in our life, right? We can be struggling in our life, but we can lift up God. He's always worthy of praise. And so it just creates a joy that... that um, is indescribable. I don't think you can get it any other way. And no one can take it away. No one, no person, no, no experience, no trauma, nothing can take it away. I love walking with Jesus. I've never regretted a single minute of it for over 48 years at this point. Through the ups and downs, he's been faithful, faithful. But also I found that not only am I loved, but because he rose again and loves me, I can spend my life loving others the way he's loved me. That this is a purpose I can get behind. That you might have gathered I need some work on this. If you listen to my water bottle story, <laughs> I'm learning. I'm a work in progress. But it's something I pray all the time, Lord, help me to love. Help me to love no matter where I am, if I'm at a party, if I'm at work, if I'm at church or with friends. I'm always asking, Lord, help me just to love. Help me to show your love. And here's what happens. When we start to receive the love of God and then show the love of God to others, then they are able to see the love of God for themselves, and then they're able to receive the love of God, and then they're able to give the love of God to others who then are able to receive the love of God and, and know the love of God, and then pour it out. And you see the spiral that starts to happen, this beautiful positive spiral. And you know what? I can live my life for that. I can give my life to that. That's a worthy purpose for my little life. And so the purpose multiplies. What an amazing thing God has for us. He has a purpose for you and for me. Every day we have a chance for a fresh start because of the resurrection. Every day we can know that we're loved no matter what. And every day there's a purpose. Now I want to bring this to a close by talking just a little bit about the tomb. The tomb that kind of started this whole story. The empty tomb. Um, Paul and I were recently in Israel. And we got to go visit Israel and uh, as we were there, there were two places that they think might be, so just keep on this one for a minute. No, don't go to the other one yet. Go back, go back. Okay, so there's two possible places um, for the, um, that the tomb might have been. One is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, okay? This is a huge, ornate church, um, and, and that big gold thing is over the tomb, supposedly, where the tomb was. And it could have been, um, the they think the crucifixion and the tomb are pretty close together, and so there's the crucifixion spot is just over a little bit to the left, and then this is right here is the tomb, and you've got to wait in line for this thing to just go glimpse at what may have been the tomb. Um, it's pretty gaudy. It's pretty over, overwrought. The place is noisy, full of people. It doesn't feel much like the place you imagine in your mind when you think of the, the, the burial place of Jesus, but this may very well be it. 
And then the second one is the garden tomb, which looks a little bit more uh, like you'd think, right? It's like a hole kind of in this mountain, um, and you can go in. There's a beautiful um, kind of in a garden. We got to have communion there. There's another location just a little more further north that they think could have been. So there's a dispute about where, um, which one is the right one, where Jesus actually was buried. Having seen both tombs, though, I had one overriding, overwhelming, wonderful, and persistent thought. Is that whether Jesus was buried at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre or in the garden tomb, he's no longer there. <laughs> and he never was. <laughs> He was gone. That, that Sunday morning, he was gone. The next picture shows you the inside of the garden tomb. It's empty. <laughs> no surprise, it's empty. He's no longer there. And it's because he's alive. Because he rose from the dead. So it doesn't matter really which tomb he was in. He was seen by thousands of people after his resurrection who could all attest to having seen him. Even the, there was never any explanation from the Roman soldiers or the, or the Jewish priests. There was never any explanation for the missing body. Even the Roman soldiers had to make up a lie to cover for what they couldn't explain. And every single one of the disciples, except for John, lost his life, gave his life, because they knew that they knew that they knew that they'd seen Jesus and gave their life for this new faith. We can be confident that Jesus rose from the dead. It doesn't matter where he was, that he shed that tomb. He shed death and rose immortal. And he will do the same for us someday as we trust in him. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we know we can have a fresh start, that you can, you can have a new day, a new, new tomorrow. God is renewing and regenerating you. We know that we are loved no matter what. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. And we know that our lives have a purpose to receive that love, and then to pour it out for others. So I'd like to invite you right now just to close your eyes for a moment. And just let, take a moment for all that I've just said and what Andy shared to just settle in you for a moment. I believe that God speaks to us. In the quietness of our heart, he just moves within us. invite Charles to come on back up and the prayer teams. In the vineyard, we have a tradition uh, which we call a ministry time. It's a time after the sermon where you are invited. There's no pressure. There's nothing you have to do, but you are invited. If you would like to be prayed for, if there's something going on in your life, maybe something with your family, something with your friends, something that we just, you just I just spoke about that you want to pray, have someone just pray that you'd know Jesus more. You can come up to these tables on the side and, and people will pray for you. Just a short prayer, nothing overdone, but just to, to pray with you. This is also an altar which is open for anyone that wants to just come and kneel and just, just think through, pray through what they've just heard. And the band will be playing as well. We're going to sing a song, but you don't have to feel like you need to sing it. You can just listen and just spend a little time, spend a few moments to respond to God to what he's been saying to you. And let me pray for us. Lord God, we just come to you today and we thank you that you, because you rose from the dead, our lives can be completely changed. You can give us a fresh start and you give us a purpose that we know we're loved and we can pour that love out for others, Lord. 
And I just, for anyone here today who maybe has never given their heart to Jesus, doesn't know what it means to begin to walk with Jesus, I'm going to just pray a prayer. And you're, you're invited to just pray it along with me. And the prayer is just this, God, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe. And I believe that you died for my sins. And so today I just ask you to forgive my sins and make me your child. It's as simple as that. We become a child of God. And for each one of us, I pray a prayer of recommitting ourselves to following him with everything we've got. Because he's got a purpose in our life that's glorious and wonderful, life-giving and joy-filled. I want more, Lord, of you. More of you. We'll sing this song, and please feel free to come up and be prayed for. Come up to pray, and um, we'll sing. <laughs>